ask you to keep your copy of God's Word open to 2 Samuel chapter 1, that section. When we open the Bible to continue our uh, study of Samuel, when we opened it to 2 Samuel, we were immediately we hit with death, particularly the death of Saul and Jonathan. Um, and now at chapter 1, it's kind of the center stage. The news of their death uh, came to David by way of a, of a young, deceivaled Jewish Amalekite, an enemy of God, at least his nation, birth nation was. We learned a lot from the actions of this young Amalekite as he attempted to advance his own cause in unrighteous ways, thinking uh, that as he brought the news to David, the news of Saul's death, and not only the news of his death, but the news that he had actually been the one who killed Saul, he thought that Saul would be, that David would be excited about that. But uh, he miscalculated the character and the response of, of King David to the news of Saul's death. And often in, in death, we learn much about the life of the death of one. We learn a lot about the life of another. We learn of their loves and their passions, their interests, their desires. We learn of the things that move them, um, the things that sadden them, the ones that are left behind. We learn this from their mourning and their lamenting. Um, we, we, we think, I, I knew that you were close to them, but I never knew that you were that close. Or I, I knew this about them, but I didn't understand how much uh, you miss and long for, for them, and your life was wrapped up in our, theirs. David's mourning and lamenting tell us a whole lot about David as well. Uh, therefore, David's mourning and lamenting are, are meant for us to be uh, something and, uh, that gives shape to our lamenting and gives shape and direction to our mourning, but also uh, as... David's mourning and lamenting told us a lot about David's life. It's to give shape to our very lives also. Um, perhaps the main thing we learn from David's life and David's lamenting is this, that he was zealous for God's honor and he was zealous for God's kingdom and God's house. Uh, in life, David was zealous for the Lord above all things. And the question really before us is, how about us? Let me review just a, a little bit um, uh, the the news, and as David received the news of Saul and Jonathan's death and of Israel's uh, defeat at the hands of the Philistines, there was a, an immediate grief that sprang up when he heard of the death and defeat. And we read of that, and Olivia read of that in verses 11 and 12. It's that impromptu news of when we first hear the news of the death of one, that's the immediate grief and the immediate reaction. Let me read those two verses again. Then David took hold of his clothes and he tore them. And so also did all the men who were with him. They mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. Following the immediate response of grief, that impromptu grief that David and his men have, uh, then David pens a, a composed reflective grief, which is really a lament. He does that in verses 17 through 27. And it's a song of lament over the death of Saul and the death of Jonathan. Uh, and really the defeat of, of Israel and the house of God at the moment. David's lament was very, very personal, but it wasn't very private, and it was not meant to be very private. It was meant to be an instruction for us. It said it in the introduction. He wrote it for instruction, and we know it's an instruction that is for us as well. It's intended for our instruction. David's lament was a testimony to the depth of his grief and the sincerity of his grief over Saul and over Jonathan. Years later, uh, we've mentioned that it, it was his greater son, Jesus, who would also weep the death of his dear friend, Lazarus, and he would also weep over the sin of his people and the condition of their heart. So deep sorrows and wounds that we receive in this fallen world from losses uh, are not often healed in a short time. And a lot of times I think the church expects that. 
man, it's been months or years since you've had your parents die. And uh, you should be over it. I'm like, no, that's not the way it works. I think David's lament and David's grief give shape to that and instruction to that and direction to our grief and our expressions of grief. Death is confusing. Uh, death is, is natural, but it's not natural. Uh, death is final, but it's not final. It is what's lost um, for those who remain that we grieve, that's so hard. The one who dies, if they die in Christ, to them and for them, their death is the ultimate gain. But for the closest-knit ones to them, uh, it leaves behind an awful loss. God gives uh, lots of answers, uh, and he gives every answer that we need to know, but he doesn't give all the answers in death and sorrow and, and grief that we want to know. So lamenting, things that are broken, things are not now as they were created Things are not now as they will be restored uh, in one day. And so, therefore, we were really meant to lament and to long. It's a God-given response to a broken and fallen world and to sin. Uh, and we're to long for restoration of our relationships. We're to long for the Lord to right all the wrongs and injustices that we see, the broken health, the broken world economies, the broken... Um, the broken things of this world to be stabilized. We long to see complete reversal of all those things. And it'll come one day. It's just not now. We lament and, and long for those things. And we've heard, and, and I pray, we start, we're starting to see that all the things that were written in earlier times were indeed written for our instruction. David penned this lament because he was lamenting Saul and, and Jonathan's death, and he was uh, lamenting uh, Israel's defeat at the moment because he was kingdom-minded, and yet he penned it not only for himself, not only for his men, not only for Israel, not only for the other nations to be affected and instructed by it, but for us to be instructed by it today. So before we go further, let me pray that that would happen, and then we'll look at some of the details. Father, we thank you for giving to David this lament. It shows us much of who David was, much of his passions, his desires, his interest in your kingdom above all things. It also gives shape to our lamenting and direction to our grief. And Father, we have a lot of that going on in our church, Living Hope. And so I pray that, and, and by God's providence, we thank you for being in this section of Scripture. I pray that this would give shape to our counsel, our grief, our, our weeping with those who weep. And Father, I pray that it would give instruction and counsel and shape and direction to, to, to weeping and lamenting in general. And Father, we pray that you would instruct us uh, not only in our weeping and lamenting, but through David's lament that we would be instructed in how we're to live. In Christ's name we pray, amen. The whole lament, uh, verses 17 through 27, is really bookended uh, after a, a quick introduction in verses 17 and 18. It's bookended in verses 19 and 27 by a, a really a tragic phrase, uh, how the mighty have fallen. It's, it's an exclamation, really, of what's behind David's grief. And, and that phrase itself is a crying out in grief, oh, how the mighty have fallen. Uh, this is the main circumstance, really, that David's grief and is, is based on, and his expression of that grief and his lament is based on. So after that introduction, um, David begins by addressing God's people with these words, oh, Israel. And we mentioned this last week, that, that phrase it, it itself or tones that mark a tragedy. But we would say, and we could say this, oh, silvers, oh, Anne, oh, clay. And we would know that that marks a tragedy for them in a sense of loss and a sense of death. 
In the first section, verses 20 and 21, we read the last time we were in here, verse 20, it says, Tell it not in Gath, proclaim it not in the streets of Ascalon, or the daughters of the Philistines will rejoice, the daughters of the uncircumcised will celebrate. David longed that the whole nation of the Philistines wouldn't even hear the news of the defeat of Israel. He didn't want them to gloat over it. He didn't want them to rejoice over it. He, he, he had a zeal for the honor of God's name and a zeal for the honor of God's kingdom. In uh, verse 21, it says, Mountains of Gilboa, may there be no dew or rain on you or fields of offerings. For there the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of David not anointed with oil. The place where such a horrible defeat happened, where Saul and Jonathan died, David said that place itself should be cursed. It should see and feel and, and know the effects of, of the loss of David and Saul. It should never rejoice again. That's what David wanted. David had a seal for God's kingdom and God's house. It was his first thought through his life. Most of the time so far, it's been his first thought. We're going to see that that changes, sadly. But uh, David uh, showed that it was his first thought in his lament. He hated to see the enemy rejoice, and he longed for God's people to know and be deeply affected by the tragedy of Saul's defeat and death. Now let's move to the second part of the, uh, and this is the new part. We, we went over that first of three parts of the, of the lament last time. The second part is in verses 22 through 24. It's lament for what has been lost. Verse 22 says this, From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, and the sword of Saul did not return empty. David started with the lament of Saul and David's being slain, and he says, Oh, how the mighty have fallen. And now David remembers something of what is lost in Saul and, David's, Saul and Jonathan's death. Saul and Jonathan had been great warriors and great leaders for the nation. Time and again, they had advanced against the foe, and they had brought triumphant victory. And it was a picture of God's kingdom prevailing. As they went forth and as they had the victories, it was a picture of God's kingdom prevailing. And when they were defeated, it was the opposite of that. In Saul and Jonathan's life and leadership and their um, war, war, warmanship, I don't know the word, uh, was, was a great benefit for the people of God. And David was now mourning that the situation was reversed. They had gone and slain many of the enemies, and now the enemy had slain Saul and Jonathan. Oh, how the mighty had fallen. And he mourns the loss of their leadership. He mourns the loss of their valor and victories over Israel's enemies. Uh, the image that he gives in that, he says that the warrior's weapons consume the blood and the fat of the enemy. Very graphic. So although the success of Saul against the enemy wasn't really a, a central theme, it was a very important part of the story so far. Saul had a great beginning. He defeated the Ammonites in 1 Samuel 11, and in that passage we read that uh, the people um, praised him for that. A great victory. Saul had led the people to a lot of courageous and skillful victories over the enemy, uh, and it was good for the people. Jonathan, too, had been a, a great warrior. 1 Samuel 14 is the first of those places that it really talks about that. Um, we see Jonathan's bow that's mentioned here. It's mentioned also in 1 Samuel 20. And we see Saul's sword. It's mentioned in chapters 17 and 31 of 1 Samuel. So Jonathan's bow and, and, and Saul's sword made their way into the story over and over and over. And now uh, David mourns the loss to Israel and losing the, Jonathan's bow and, and Saul's sword. He mourns the loss and he calls the nation to mourn it also. Um, the occasion of death is an appropriate time to mourn what has been lost. I think we learned that from the lament. 
Our grief and lamenting should be shaped by David's lament and what's written in the scriptures of lamenting. Death is a time to mourn what is lost and appreciate the good things that we had when we had the one um, here and alive before they passed. In funerals, we often make the person who's passed away to be something that they're not. But it's proper and good and right to focus on the, the good that they bring, the benefits of that lost life. It's not a time to balance the good with the bad. That's why grief is grief. We grieve over the things that we lose um, in those things. David does that really well here. He grieves deeply over what is lost. Though, in, in his case, what's interesting is what is lost, in his case, is the, the very circumstance that he could have been king, right? The loss of Saul's life was the circumstance that he could have been king, and yet he really grieves, honestly and really. For David, one of the major things that was lost was God's honor, uh, and particularly God's honor in the eyes of the enemy. The, the enemy now would, would be set in their er error. They would be less compelled to come to the true God now that their gods who were false gods were victorious at the moment. And David hated their gloating, but I think David hated the condition of their heart even more, and he wept for them. Uh, their celebrations show that they were less compelled to trust and turn to the one true God and to repent. Our grief uh, is understood largely in light of what we lose and the person that's gone. David, uh, interestingly, he could now have rest from Saul. Saul was pursuing him day after day after day during, during Saul's life. Man, it was awful and, and crazy and jealous and, and constant pursuit, bitter rage, it says in the scripture. And David didn't have to put up with that any longer now that Saul was dead. And yet David mourns and laments all the good that was lost. And he calls the nation to lament all the good that was lost. I think that's amazing truth, just to think of how he, how he was able to do that and the circumstances that he was in. We'll come back to that at the very end. Verse 23, Saul and Jonathan, beloved and pleasant in their life, and in their death they were not parted. And we're, we're going to use um, a, a different translation for this little section. Uh, it says in one translation, and in their death, Saul and David were not divided in life or in death. They were not divided in life or in death. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. Uh, Jonathan, we can believe that he was beloved of David, right? He was pleasant in life, but Saul? Why would, why would, why would David say Saul was pleasant in life? And Jonathan and Saul were not divided? Well, it seems like they were pretty divided. We've read it several times um, in our scriptures that we would say they, they were divided. What are we to make of those things? So certainly at the end of Saul's life, he wasn't so, so pleasant. But there had been a season in time that he was um, pretty pleasant. There was a time that we read back in 1 Samuel that he was held as the asked for king and the hope of all of Israel. There was a time when the whole nation recognized Saul, it says in 1 Samuel 10, 24, and all the nation, there was none like him. There was a time that that was Saul. In 1 Samuel 11, we've already mentioned it, he defeated the Ammonites. The whole kingdom was restored. The nation rejoiced, and they said they rejoiced in their triumphant king. That's uh, 1 Samuel 11:15. And in 1 Samuel 14, 47 and 48, I'm going to just summarize this, but this is a, a text that just talks about all the battles and, and victories that Saul won for his, uh, his people. He won them against the Moab and Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, uh, from the kings of Zobah, from the, against the Philistines. It says, wherever he turned, he routed them. He was valiant. He struck down the Amalekites. He delivered the Israel from the hands of those who would plunder them. And so it says in a little bit, we're going to see that, that 
that through Saul, Israel was adorned. Uh, their, their stuff wasn't taken, and they actually took the plunder of other, of other nations. David wasn't stretching the truth when he said that he lamented Saul and that Saul and Jonathan were beloved and lovely. And what about this, and Jonathan and Saul were not divided in life or in death. I mean, they had terrible conflicts. We read two different times that Saul tried to take his own son's life, much less trying to take David's life. He took his own son's life twice, 1 Samuel 14 and then chapter 20. And yet, David, and yet, though Jonathan was devoted heart and soul and mind to David, he never betrayed his father, and he never abandoned his father. Jonathan's love and steadfast, uh, steadfastness to his father endured throughout his life and to the very end, because we know that he was, what, he was there at Mount Gilboa at the death of Saul, and he was killed right alongside Saul. It was the son's love for the father, in this case, that shows the father's love for his children. You get that? It was the son's love for his father that shows the father's love for his children in this particular case, a beautiful picture of the love of Christ and the love of the father. And yet, so sadly, the, the condition of Jonathan and Saul's um, heart and soul, I, I think tragically that was what was divided. They weren't divided in the sense of Jonathan betraying his father. Jonathan longed for his father. He longed for his father to turn, to turn to the Lord, to have God's kingdom interest in mind. So what's sad is it seems that their hearts were divided. Saul was rebellious until the end, and Jonathan was faithful until the end. Both fought Israel's enemies, right? Both had great victories. Both delivered Israel from the hands of the foe. Uh, but one knew it was because of the Lord and for the Lord, and the other did it despise, despising the Lord to the very end. I think there's a lot to learn in that. We can be doing the same things with different motives of the heart, and one be beautiful in the sight of the Lord, sweet-smelling aroma, or we can be doing the same thing for self-interest and self-boasting and our own kingdom, and it be putrid. Um, Hebrews 4 talks about that. It says that the word of the Lord is like a sword, a two-edged sword, right? You might have heard that, and it, it divides the bone and the marrow, and it says it digs down and into the very what thoughts and intents of the heart. God cares about the thoughts and intents of why you do what you do. It makes all the difference in the world, heaven and hell even. Uh, there are a lot of applications to to us and for us and David and Jonathan's attitude and actions and law for, and even prayer for, for Saul. It teaches us uh, about their heart and their purpose. And I, I pray that we can speak about these things more together, even at our fellowship time together. How, how does the way that Jonathan and David interact with Saul, how does that instruct us and what we're to be about? Well, that's what David wanted Israel to know about Saul and Jonathan. He wanted to know that their death was a terrible loss for the nation of Israel. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. David's lament focused on all the good that was lost, and, and David indicated that there was a lot of good that was lost. That's what we get from that section. David continues in verse 24, O daughters of, of Israel, weep over, over Saul, who clothed, you in luxurious, uh, who clothed you luxuriously in scarlet, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. So apparently, while he was king, Israel was pretty wealthy, generally so. It was good for them economically. David had wished the news of Saul and Jonathan's death and Israel's great defeat would give no rise of rejoicing in, in the nation of the Philistines, uh, and yet it was inevitable. David had longed for the place of Saul and Jonathan's death to never remain the same, but to be cursed so that the place would remember and grieve. 
Uh, and similarly here, David is saying this, uh, he doesn't want the song of rejoicing to make its way to the, the, the land of the Philistines, but here he says, but I do want the songs of weeping and lamenting to be all around our nation. I want them to know the loss. I want them to know Saul and David. I want them to see that we should be about the kingdom of God. Um, what he's saying is, may the good provisions that Saul brought to Israel not be forgotten. May the great loss be lamented throughout the nation. The last section of the lament, it kind of takes a surprising turn. Starting in verse 25, he says again, right in the middle, it's bookended with this phrase, oh, how the mighty have fallen, but it also appears in the middle, verse 25, how the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Verse 25 echoes uh, verse 19, and uh, it would be a good ending place. Oh, how the mighty have fallen, oh, how the mighty have fallen. But David uh, is, is taken with grief over his, his friend Jonathan, and so he continues the lament. And the second part of, of verse 25 is exactly the same as verse 19, except for one word. The second part, and let's see, I can't remember what I have on the screen. There we go. How, how have the mighty fallen in the midst of the battle? Jonathan is slain on your high places. And before, it said Israel's glory was slain on the high places. Or the gazelle, if you remember us talking about that, is slain on the high places. And the beauty and the glory, or if you want to say the gazelle of Israel, uh, is replaced by a name, by the name Jonathan. David doesn't down uh, Saul in the least, but he says that Jonathan was the beauty and the glory of Israel. And um, so he praises Saul, and he praises Jonathan all the more in this last part. The, the greatest tragedy and loss on Mount Geboa to Saul was that Jonathan had died, and the rest of the lament focused on his soul-knitted friend, Jonathan. Verse 26, I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was more wonderful, extravagant, as another translation, more extravagant than the love of women. It's so personal, um, his lament, and yet it's so public, and it was meant for, to instruct us. Uh, when they last saw each other, David and Jonathan wept. And it said that Saul, I said that, that David wept all the more. And now we still see him weeping all the more over Jonathan's death. Jonathan's death was David's loss, Israel's loss. Jonathan was the crown prince. He stood in line uh, to inherit the throne, and yet he was the very first to acknowledge that God had chosen David for the throne to be the Messiah king. And nowhere else do we have a better summary on how J D Jonathan's uh, love and covenant to David uh, is, is shown in verses, chap chapter 23 of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 23, 17. Jonathan says this to David, you will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Jonathan's life was a call to be second, right? He was second to his dad, and then he was second to, to David. He was, it was a call to be second, and, and he loved that place. And that, that's a great instruction for us. I think that in his call to be second and his taking that up, he gloried in that, and it showed that his interest was in God's kingdom. It wasn't in his own kingdom. It wasn't in him getting the throne. I love thy kingdom, Lord, I think Jonathan could say, right alongside David. And we're called to the same thing, to love his kingdom, um, to seek first his righteousness, to have the Lord in his kingdom as our first thought, like David and Jonathan did. And that was the driving force of, of their relationship, the, the passion that they had together for God the king and for his kingdom. Colossians uh, 1.18 says this, he is the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning. Who is he? Jesus. 
He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. So the climax of the lament uh, for David is, is Jonathan, and he calls him brother, and uh, I, I think he's, he's calling him brother, not, not brother-in-law. You know he's actually his brother, right? He was his actual brother-in-law. Um, but I, I think that in this case, he's not talking about the relationship as brother and brother-in-law. I think he's referencing a whole different thing. I think he's referencing their covenant and committed relationship that we've read about before. The fountain of that relationship came from their, their interest in God's kingdom uh, and their seeking God's kingdom first. I, I, in several of the commentaries, I, I pulled some of these pieces and um, the covenant that, that David and Jonathan made together included these things. Uh, they included Jonathan's love for David. I have verses for all these if you want them afterwards. Some of you asked me for those and I have them here. David's love for Jonathan. Jonathan's renouncing any claim to Saul's throne because he knew it was uh, now David's throne. Jonathan's glad acceptance of David as his future king. Jonathan's regarding David's enemies as his own enemies. David's commitment to deal kindly with Jonathan and indeed uh, to have him be second in rank uh, to himself. David's promise to deal kindly with Jonathan's family. We're going to see the fruit of that in 2 Samuel. And, and then um, the foundation of all of that was their interest in the true king and his kingdom. And I don't mean simply that, that David and Jonathan had an interest uh, in God's kingdom first, but their interest, meaning that they were God's people. Their interest in the kingdom was the very foundation and root of their, of their love, uh, and their standing in grace in the Lord was, was the very root of that. David's language and metaphor of choice, uh, we might like say, whoa, that's pretty graphic. That's uh, what, what words. You have been very pleasant to me, Jonathan. Your love to me was more wonderful or more extravagant than the love of women. Very pleasant, extraordinary, extravagant love. It surpasses that of the love of women. And that phrase is not an indication of improper relationship between Jonathan and David, but it was, a, it was an indication of the deep gospel love they had for one another. Very different. It's not something to be avoided. As many people say, it's something to be emulated. It's something that we should long for in the Church of Living Hope. We should long for these kind of relationships that are founded on our purpose being deeper than ourselves. Um, that, that should be the entire topic of another sermon. Um, but that sermon, I hope, is being written on our lives at Living Hope. Anyway, David's lament closes with another echo of the tragedy and then an added tag. He says, how the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. What are we to learn? Here's some things. Hopefully you've picked up some things along the way. I'm not going to repeat all of those. But from David's immediate grief and then his more reflective lament, reflective grief, we should learn to shape our own laments and griefs um, over death and loss, but over life and what's going on in the world. For the Christian, it's true that we don't grieve as those without hope. You've heard that, right? As Christians, we don't grieve as, like other people as those without hope. And when somebody dies and they're a Christian, we, we know that they have great hope, and that gives us great hope, and that's true. But even if one dies outside of Christ, those who know Christ still grieve with hope because the hope is not in the person. The hope is in the Lord, that he does right, that he's good, always. 
Uh, even, when we, we, even when we lack understanding of his ways. But for the Christian, we do grieve deeply, and we do grieve really, and we should. And, and I always say, and I, I believe this to be true, that the Christian grieves and more deeply and more really than, than those who don't know Christ. Why? Because we know how things were made, how they were created. And we also know how things should be and one day will be. And so we can grieve deeper, but we don't grieve in the same way in the full sense. Um, grieving isn't lost upon the Christian. And what I mean by that is Christians are to grieve. We're meant to, lam- to lament and to long for others. We're to grieve deeply, to grieve what is lost. We're to speak of the good things and what is lost and to see that those things were the gift of God's hands. In David's case, he even saw that Saul, who seemingly didn't know the Lord, rebelled against him, he still looked and saw God's gifts through Saul to him and to the nation, and he rejoiced, and he also gave thanks for it. So our lamenting should move us to give thanks in the end. Another thing we're to learn is to love. We've already talked about that, that psalm. Um, meditate on the richness of that, how, how, how David puts that to Jonathan, your, your love. And, he, and, he, and interestingly, he's speaking in the first person, and he actually speaks to Jonathan in that verse. Jonathan, my brother, your love to me is more extravagant than the love of a woman. Meditate on how that should be in our congregation and between brothers and sisters in Christ deeply. Um, the other thing is we're meant to enter into the story here. Here's something that a lot of times we miss by giving all the other applications. God means that as we're reading the story, the unfolding story of the gospel, he wants us to enter into the story right there. And so we should be moving toward an appreciation that God is now bringing another king to reign, and that king is David. And we should mourn with David the loss of Saul and Jonathan, and we should start rejoicing and looking forward to this new king, David, who's coming, a king of God's own choosing. Saul's been good, beneficial in so many ways, and he was to be greatly grieved, but there's a better king coming and David's about to enter the story, and we should celebrate along with the people of Israel. Ah, yes, grief Saul's death. Give thanks for all that that was given by God through him, and yet look to a better king. And then, like David, and like like his people, and like Israel, we should look further on ahead, right? Enter, Enter the story there, and we should every week, but we should look further on ahead, because in in very short time, David, like Saul, uh, this expression is going to be of him. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. It's going to be of David too. And that expression is true of all human leaders. And it's going to be true of us. It is true of us. As Jonathan looked for and longed to commune and, and serve the coming king, David, we're to look for and serve and commune and long, long to serve the coming king and the now king, Jesus, who one day, by the way, at his coming, at his final coming, every tear will be wiped away. And those who um, have struggled with the idea of sin and death and sorrow and suffering, they'll be restored and reunited, redeemed. The curse will be reversed. All that's lost in sin and death will be given back in Jesus. Um, And then I, I have this, oh Lord, we pray, work in us such a love as David and Jonathan had for your kingdom and for your kingship. May our hearts like David be hearts... uh, that look to and long for your greater son, Jesus, to be filled with zeal for, and honor for his name and zeal for his house, for his kingdom, for his people, for his church. My prayer is that 
as we see the lament and life of David and Jonathan, that we too, like them, would, would seek his kingdom first. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would transform our hearts. I pray that you would teach us through David's lament and his grief how to give shape to our own lamenting and our own grieving. And Father, the shape of that lament is the shape that David gave us in his life. It's uh, all things in our life, and even our grieving is to be shaped by your kingdom and the interest of your kingdom and the interest of your church and of your people. And so, Father, I pray today that you would shape our hearts so that we would seek your kingdom first. And that as we seek your kingdom first, it will be transform our lives that our very relationships in this particular body with real people, with real names, would have deep relationships that it would be said that the love of one another is more than just the love of a woman. It's not just sexual, it's much deeper. Father, help us to love like that. And Father, I pray that you'd help us to say that you love us like that. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So this next song we're going to sing is I 